Thanks, uh, thanks again for uh, joining us today. Um, if you are not a regular here, uh, what I talk about this morning may kind of seem like you're coming into uh, some inside business here. Um, and, and in a sense, um, obviously, I speak to our congregation. Um, but I, I think that this has high relevance and practicality for all of us, whether you're here for the first time or you're here for, um, you've been you know, here for the, your entire life. Uh, throughout the, the Lenten season, which is a six-week period of preparation for, uh, for Passion Week leading into Good Friday and Easter, um, our congregation went through what we called a, a detox. It was kind of an examination of our soul as we did a, a spiritual inventory and saw um, leading up to, to Lent, thinking about what are the things in our lives that uh, hinder us from loving Jesus with all of our hearts, because that's what we realize to be the greatest commandment. What are the things that are keeping us from doing that? Is it um, a certain sin in our lives? We talked about in Hebrews, it talks about there is in each of our lives a sin that so easily entangles us. We talked about what are the sins in our lives? And many people gave up different vices and sins as a way of really trying to focus in on, 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 on just uh, thinning out the chaff from our lives in order that we might pursue Christ more. Uh, for others, it wasn't maybe necessarily a sin. It was a, a distraction, something good that had gotten in the way. Maybe it was a video game, maybe it was a TV show, maybe it was a relationship, maybe it was something in our lives that kept us, that distracted us from really pursuing Christ more. We talked about what are the things that we need to let go of and leave behind in order that we might run more freely and more fully and more fast towards Christ. Um, that's one thing that we did. Another thing that we did was we tried to figure out how can we create in our lives habits and, and systems and disciplines in order that we could get into the presence of God, in order that we might know him more primarily dealing with the Word of God and, and dealing with prayer. We had uh, prayer meetings throughout the week and, and on Saturday mornings as a way of kind of getting us together in that place so that we could seek the Lord's face. And then we uh, did this together in community with other people. We found people of kindred spirit and said, hey, let's run this race together. And for those of you who went through this detox, if that seems like it was a long time ago, then I think today speaks into your heart and speaks into your situation. If it seems like it was just yesterday, then let me kind of add some fuel to the fire of what you might be feeling and what you might be going through. For me, the season of detox was a highly, highly, uh, just a sweet time of fellowship with Jesus, of just wanting to, to love him more, um, going back to, to first love, of discovering things about Jesus that I had forgotten about, and just realizing how much stuff filled my life that was keeping me from really um, loving Jesus with all that I could love him with. And it was a humbling time. It was a weaning time. It was a repenting time. It was a renewing and refreshing kind of time that really just caused my heart to be super excited as we came into Easter and, and into um, last weekend and, and continuing on. And, and as I think about this, I think that we need some next steps and to talk about what do we do in light of all these things. Right, for, for some of you, you felt like this season was great. And I've heard some stories from some of y'all about how wonderful the time was. I, I've heard from some people who felt like it was a little bit challenging and yet at the same time really kind of a, a kick in the seat that you needed. Um, I want to talk for the next at least couple weeks about what do we do now? Uh, what happens as a result of what God did in our hearts and how does what happened back then continue to be played out in our lives? I want to uh, read from Philippians chapter 3. and um, I, I, can't, I don't know that there's many places that can capture the heart of what detox is about better than Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read um, verses 10 through, uh, 10 through 14. Philippians is a, is a book, as many people have preached through this, it is extremely difficult to outline because, in a sense, Paul, who wrote the letter to the Philippians, just kind of writes one long uh, treatise, and it's just kind of hard to break up where his one line of thought begins and ends. So I just want to pick up in verse 10 
Paul was a, an apostle, and this is he's been living and, and living for Christ for some time. And he's just kind of this super apostle who's just so intimate with Jesus, expressing his heart. And I think as we hear his heart, we hear God's heart for us, and then we hear our heart as we can try and, uh, try and get our hearts in line with where God wants us to be in light of what we've been through. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. This is God's word. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this is one thing I do. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. And when you think about life, when you think about our lives, you break up our lives. Basically, isn't life simply a series of moments in time? Now, you think about your life. You think about the great moments that define your life. You think about what makes up a person's life. It's a series of moments. Some moments have been great. Things like when you got married, when you had a kid, when you graduated high school. Think about bad moments in your life. But that's what life is. It's a sum of, it's a, sum of a series of moments that have happened in life. And we think about this six-week period of, of detox, Lent, whatever it is. What, if, you, if you didn't go through detox, if you're a follower of Jesus, think about the times when you felt uh, most intimate with Jesus. You felt close to Jesus, those times where his nearness was real. You felt like you were growing in your faith. Think back to those times. In all of our lives, comprised of a series of moments, at the end of it all, this detox, this six-week period, is just going to be a tiny sliver of time. In fact, in the grand scheme of your life, that's all it is. If Even the youngest ones here, you've been alive for 12 years, uh, six weeks is just a tiny sliver of time. It's just a tiny piece of that pie in this huge thing that we call life. Life is made up of a series of moments, and detox was just another moment. In light of that, how ought we live based on what the Scripture is teaching us, based on what Paul's saying, based on the heartbeat of Paul? How ought we live in light of that moment in this one shining moment, maybe, in this one moment of time that you had? How do we live, right? Two ways that I think we tend to live in light of the moments of our lives. And here's the first one is what not to do, okay? Don't build a monument out of that moment. Okay, what does that mean? I'll explain it, but... The, I, and I, I say this, I know that that's what your outline says and the blanks are there, but I, with the risk of sounding too cute, uh, hear me out. Uh, don't build a, a monument out of a moment. I don't know if you guys know that today is national, actually not the national, but the international day of laughter. Did you know that? Look at your neighbor and laugh. Right? <laughs> Some of them are... Okay, so today's the International Day of Laughter. What that means is it's a day to celebrate laughter. It's a day to tell jokes to each other. It's a day to make each other smile and laugh. There's an International Day. I didn't know that. I Googled it yesterday, and I found out what holiday is a April 14th, the International Day of Laughter. Did you know that yesterday was a national... Okay, this is, this is crazy. I didn't know that such a day existed. was National Peach Cobbler Day. In America, it was National Peach Cobbler Day. How many of you guys knew that and ate peach cobbler? None of us, okay? Sometime last week, 
at least according to Instagram and Facebook, was National Sibling Day. Who knew that such a day existed? How many of you guys knew this outside of Facebook and, and Instagram? None of us did. Probably somebody just started this rumor that it's National Sibling Day, and then it went viral. Probably someone influential like Diddy, P. Diddy, or somebody like that. Anyways, there's a day to celebrate. There's something to celebrate on every day. Why? Because we're, kind of, we're celebrating people. We always want reasons to celebrate. There's, a, you know, those page-a-day calendars at Barnes & Noble that um, each day you rip it off and it tells you like a vocabulary word of the day or funny things that George W. Bush said or, or whatever it might be, sports facts of the day or whatever it might be. There's one that's, that, that's called 365 holidays out of the year. And every day there's a different holiday, different reason to celebrate, National Left-Handers Day, Na- National Juggling Day, whatever it might be. And to give us a reason to celebrate. Why? Because as a people, we like celebrating. And the tendency of the human heart, when we find a moment that we find to be significant and important in our lives, is to celebrate that moment. That's not a bad thing at all. It's a great thing to do. It's a great thing to celebrate these things, these events, these people of our lives. But the danger comes when instead of simply celebrating that moment, we build a monument out of it. You know what a monument is? A monument is something that was erected, that is built as a way of remembering a past event or a person that is now dead. It's okay to celebrate a moment. I think if Paul was detoxing with us, he would celebrate those moments. And oftentimes he talked about moments of his lives where God did great things in his life, but he never built a monument out of it and said, you know what, this is how far I've come and this, that's it. The danger is when we take these great moments and then we build a monument and we hail this past event and we say, you know what, many, many years ago, our church did this thing called a detox and for six weeks I loved Jesus with everything within me and then we build a monument around that and the danger comes when the moment becomes something that's simply stuck in the past. We don't do this with anything else in life. Okay? If you think about it, if you think about it in sports terms, okay, I love sports. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm from the, the, uh, the D.C. metro area. We call it the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. I'm from that area, and I'm always, I've always been kind of a homebody, so my allegiance and my roots are deeply planted in the sports teams of the D.C. area. So I'm a diehard Washington Redskins fan. I'm a diehard Baltimore Orioles fan. <laughs> so there's a Cowboy fan back there booing. Okay? She will never become a member at Harvest. Okay? <laughs> uh, so I'm a diehard fan of both of these two teams, okay? But the trouble is there are people who like to persecute me and like to persecute Pastor Albert because he's also a fan of these teams. And so they come up to us and they say, hey, uh, how are your Orioles doing? How are your Redskins doing? When's the last time they won a championship? And they, they start boasting about their team. I think about this because as the official team of our congregation, this is important. <laughs> I think about the people who are saying that, the people who are cheer fans of the Dallas Cowboys, and I put a mental note, and, and once they get a certain number of demerits, then I, I, there's punishment, there's church discipline, there's excommunication that happens. <laughs> but as they talk about these, I, can't, I, don't, say that, I don't say that really in, on a personal level. I think about that, and I, they say, hey, you know what? Your teams aren't doing so well. Right? Life must be really hard being a fan of the Redskins being a fan of the Orioles. When's the last time you guys won? Here's what I don't say. I don't say, you know what? You're dumb. You don't know anything. Don't you remember 1983? The last time the Orioles won the World Series championship? Don't you remember Cal Ripken, Eddie Murray, catching that line drive, game six of the World Series? Don't, how dare you say, what are you talking about? The Orioles are terrible. 1983, 30 years ago, we were the world champions. And what about our Redskins? Don't you remember 1992 and their utter annihilation, dismantling 
of the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. Don't you remember that? How can you say we're a bad team? Nobody says that. I don't bust, oh yeah, and bust out my 1983 Orioles shirt. Nobody does that. Why? Because we're not content to celebrate the glories of past moments. We want to win now. So I don't say let's look back to 83 or 92. I say, you know what? This, this is going to be our year. This is going to be our year. That's what I say. Even if I don't believe it, I say this is going to be our year. Because I'm not looking back at nostalgia at the past. I'm saying we're going to win now. I'm not. Yeah, you're right. We haven't had the best of times. But you know what? A better day is coming. And I believe in that. And I believe in that. That's why I continue to cheer for them. Think about it in, in maybe not in sports terms if you're not the sports type. Maybe you're the academic type. Think about it in school. Okay, so you've got this kid. And he's like, hey, you know what? I want to go to college. Where do you want to go to college? I'm going to go to Harvard. Oh, you can't go to Harvard because you're a junior and your grades are terrible. No, 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 no. I got straight A's. Your friends are looking at you like, no way you got straight A's. I saw, I saw the test grades that you get. You didn't get straight A's. They say, yeah, I did in third grade. A 4.0 in third grade is not going to help you get into Harvard now. Who of us is content with a 4.0 way back when and doesn't struggle and fight to get that now? Then why is it in our spiritual lives that we're okay to celebrate the glories of our past. And say, two weeks ago, I was doing great with Jesus. Five years ago at that retreat, I was so intimate with him, and I, I encountered him, and he felt so near to me, and I was walking with Jesus, and I evangelized and shared the gospel with all these people. Why is it in spiritual life that we're so okay with living in the past when a better today and a better tomorrow is promised to the people of God? You see, the danger... Is not just in celebrating the moment, that's great, but it's when we build a monument around that. We say, you know what, that's all stuck in the past, that's it, it's done, and it's over with. Paul would never be okay with that. He said, my goal isn't just to have a good detox. The purpose of us doing detox, I said this at the outset every week. I said, look, just do this uh, for six weeks. And then after that, see what happens. We'll, we'll see what happens. And this is what we're seeing what happens. To do this for six weeks and then let's see where we are and see if our desires don't change and see if our habits don't change and see if our longings don't change, if we don't love Jesus more. And if we do love Jesus more, then what do we do as a result of it? That's what we're talking about here. Our goal wasn't that we could be great for Jesus for six weeks and then fall off the cliff. Paul's goal wasn't that we'd be, do a detox for six weeks. It's that we would love Jesus more and more, to know Jesus more and more. And until we get to that place where we know Jesus fully and we see him face to face, then our goal isn't done. It's not accomplished. That's why Paul says, I'm not there yet. You guys look at Paul. You, he, Paul's saying, you guys look at me and you think I've arrived, but he's saying, I haven't. And anything that keeps me from knowing Jesus is rubbish. It's a distraction. I cast all those things aside, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead because a better tomorrow is available. I want to know Jesus. Jesus, that's what he's saying. I'm not going to be trapped in the past. And he exhorts us and he pleads with us and I plead with us, don't be stuck in the past. Don't be okay with six weeks of prayer meeting and that's it. And then for the rest of our lives, we just do whatever we used to do before. If the things that tripped us up in loving Jesus before Lent are still operating our lives, then why would we go back to those things after Lent? And that makes, it just makes sense, right? If we struggled with pornography before Lent and gave that up, then why would we go back into those things? If wasting time on video games was a, was a distraction from loving Jesus before Lent, then why would we go back to it afterwards? Our goal wasn't to have a, a successful, faithful detox period. 
It said we'd cut the fat from our lives in order that we might love Jesus more and walk towards him and know him more. That's it. I mean, we know this. But we need this because we need to be reminded of these things. Because, you see, if we build a monument around this moment, what happens is not just it remains a figment of the past, a distant memory in the dusty recesses of our mind, not only does it remain that, but invariably what happens is that we unknowingly begin to undo all of the good things that God has done in our lives. What do I mean? Here's what I mean. I'm not a big fan of, of reality TV, um, but one show that Olivia and I sometimes watch, a show called The Biggest Loser. And this show, it takes these people who are massively overweight, and they just go through this, this, basically it's a detox program, where they cannot eat certain foods, they're tempted by it as a challenge, but they cannot eat certain foods, they have to incorporate new habits into their lifestyle, and they do this together with other people, other people who are struggling, but also people who are like the picture of, of physical perfection. And these are fit, they're muscular, they're healthy, and they're screaming in their face, right, to lose weight, to do these things right. And so you've got these guys, and the first, I mean, the, in the beginning, it's painful to watch. It's like I, so I read this article on, um, I forget what website it was, it just exposes the truth behind these reality TV shows. And, and the first couple weeks, it's kind of like watching these, like, these, these like, big people do jumping jacks, and it's really kind of like awkward and painful, because it's awkward and painful for them to do it, and it's the same thing for us watching it. And so you've got these guys doing it, but as time goes on, you begin to to, to develop relationships and not relationships, but almost kind of like you build affection for these characters. And in time, they're, they're losing pounds and they're dropping weight. And it's almost like, you know, it's crazy to see they get up on the scale. And from one week to the next, it's like minus 12, minus 17. And, and as we see it, like you're, you're hearing their story and just being so gripped by it and so moved by it. And, and there'd be times where Olive and I are watching it and, and, and one of us starts crying in, in just emotion and, <laughs> As we're watching, it's just like so excited and just captivated by it and entering into their story. And then there are times when they want to give up and these trainers come and they start yelling at them, right? You got to do it. You got to do it. You know, you got to think about these people who hurt you and, and you're not going to let them hold the sway in your life. And they're yelling and they're screaming and all this stuff. And at the end of the show, these guys go back home and they see their family for the first time. There's just this amazing reunion where people are like, oh my gosh, where did the other half of you go? It's crazy. At the first season, I think the winner was a guy named Chris Benson. He went from 330 pounds, uh, 360 pounds or something ridiculous like that, down to 200 pounds. He basically lost the equivalent of one of our high school juniors, right? He lost all of that weight, went from 360 down to 200. Craziness. The third season winner went from 400 down down to 200. And think about, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But then you hear the story behind the story. Right now, that now, this guy, Chris Benson, first season winner, down to 200, went back up to 330 pounds. Season three winner, a guy named Eric Chopin, 400 down to 200, is back up to 370. Why? They had this like six-week detox. They bought the T-shirt. They had this moment of fame. But that's all it was. It was just this one moment in time they built a monument around. They become immortalized as the season one winner, season three winner of The Biggest Loser. But as soon as it's done, they, they go back to their old life. 
and maybe two weeks after Easter. And some of us have gone back to that place. And we're so ensnared by those same things. One of my friends I was talking with, he had fasted soda for Lent, said as soon as our, their Lent was over, he just started chugging and guzzling all these sodas. And I think it's okay, in a sense, with soda. But it's deadly, dangerous, disastrous, devastating with sin. We go back to our old life. And some of us are there and we're like, you know what? It's almost like that never even happened. That detox never even happened. I'm saying, don't be the biggest loser. Don't build a monument around that moment and say, that's it. It's just one moment in time. That's it. And then go back to your old life. The things that tripped us and that caught us and that messed us up then are the same things that are here that confront us on the other side of Easter. Don't go back to your old life. It wasn't about fidelity and faithfulness and detox. It was about knowing Jesus. It was about loving him more. And so in light of that, here's how we ought to live. Like to build momentum for a movement. Okay, that's the second thing. Right? Don't build a monument around a moment. Build momentum for a movement. Right? To know Christ and to make him known. Again, if Paul was here, he would have, he would have done this detox and he would have said, you know what, that was great. It was so good for me because Paul had his vices also. He had the thorn in the flesh. He had the things that he struggled with. He needed to let go of certain things. He needed to continue to press on. If it wasn't so, then he wouldn't have said, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is it. I consider all of these things rubbish. He had his own struggles. But his thing was, you know what? I want to know. I want to know Jesus more. At the end of the day, isn't that the deepest desire of, our, of, of your heart? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, isn't that what you desire and what you long for? To know him more, to love him more, to desire, to grow in our desire to know Jesus? Even to the point he says, I, would, I, would even, I just want to suffer in the way that you suffered so that I could know what it means, so I could have that intimate knowledge with you. Like, that's how much I, I want to know him. And that's why we fast. And it's to... Enter into the sacrificial, self-giving nature of Jesus in order to, in some tiny way, to suffer in order that we might know Jesus more. Isn't that why when we suffer on mission trips that we know the intimacy and nearness of Christ in a way that we don't anywhere else? Right? When we're suffering for the, for the sake of Christ, his nearness, he just like, boop, 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 comes so close to us. And we experience intimacy with him. That's why, he, that's why they say, you know what, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And if I, could, if I somehow could suffer, the joy of knowing, the fellowship of sharing in your sufferings is I want to know Christ more. That's the desire of his heart. And he says, unless, until I get to that place, I'm not done. Until I get to the other side of glory, I'm not done. That's why we've given up the things that we've given up. And that's why we can't go back to the things that we gave up. So what, is it, what does it mean? What does it look like to build momentum? It means to take the things that we did and then to, to see that as boing, a springboard into something else that we can do. It's to take those habits and, not, and to not say, hey, you know what? For twice a week, I woke up and I went to prayer meetings and, and that's it. It's done. But to say, let's build momentum. If, you, if that helped you during detox, then continue to do that. I mean, it's, it's simple. 
Continue to do that. Continue to come and pray. Continue to find ways. Get people together. Say, hey, let's pray in the morning. Let's continue to be accountable to each other. Let's continue to give up the things that, that are idols in our lives. Let's keep on helping each other. Let's do that together. That, it, it, it's, it's simple to know. It's hard to implement. I understand that. That's the issue. But let's, again, detox our minds from the idea that it was just a moment in time. Let's bring this into the, into the present and say it's about movement. It's about momentum. You know, a lot of people encouraged me and blessed me during this detox season, but I don't think there was anyone that encouraged me more than my daughter, Manny. 46 days throughout the Lenten season, throughout detox, she said, I'm going to spin my little globe and I'm going to put my finger on a country whose color I like and I'm going to, with one finger on the country and one hand in mine, we pray together for these countries, for the nations of the world. From day one, America, to day 46, Guinea. And every day she would pray. And when I would, I would want to forget, I want to hurry up and, and, and leave for the morning, she would come lugging that globe in and say, Daddy, we forgot to pray for my globe. And she would spin it and she would say, look how fast it's spinning. And then she would think it's so exciting. We would pray for pastors in these nations. We would pray for missionaries in these countries. She's not praying. She's praying after me. She would then have the knowledge to pray for these. We pray for the persecuted church where, where the church people are being killed for their faith. And she would ask, why are people dying? Why are people dying? She doesn't understand these things. And she probably will, outside of it being posted on Facebook, she may not even remember these things. She laughed at some of the country names. She thought they were so funny. And she would giggle through her prayers. She thought it was so funny that Libya sounded like Bolivia, both of which sounded like Olivia, which is her mother's name. And she's like, we, didn't we already pray for Libya? No, we pray for Bolivia. She's like, that's mommy's name. No, no. And we would have these great times of, of praying together, and she would laugh. And it got to Good Friday. And I said, Manny, uh, only, we're only going to do this for two more days. And she got this, like, sad face. And she said, Why? Why are we only doing this for two more days? I said, because we're only doing this through Lent, and Lent ends in a couple days. And she kind of looked downcast, and, and I said, but Manny, if you want to, you could still do it. And she looked up, and she got really excited. She said, I still want to do this. I still want to pray for my globe. And so I said, okay, thinking that, you know, once Easter comes, she's going to get all this candy and play around and, and get sugar wasted, and then she's going to forget about it. Monday rolls around, and she's like, Daddy, remember I said I wanted to pray for my globe? Tuesday, every day. <laughs> I thought, okay, and time is going to pass. Friday rolls around. She comes lugging that little globe. She's like, Daddy, we forgot to pray for, we forgot to pray for this yesterday because I was at a conference all week. She's like, we forgot to pray for this. We forgot to pray for this. Can we, can we do it? Remember, I, I said I wanted to pray for it. All right, and so we spin the globe, and she prays, and she's laughing her way through it. And she's like, did we pray for this one already? Did we pray for this one already? I said, okay, Manny, for 46 days we prayed for a different country, but we can start repeating now. And so she was fascinated. She would always pick America because it's broken up into states, and she thinks they're all individual countries. So almost like every three days she'd say, did we pray for this one? What about this one? I'm like, Manny, this is all America. <laughs> she always want to be praying for these countries, and I... And I thought to myself, you know what? These days after Lent, after detox, she's not praying for the countries of the world because she has to. 
And she's praying for these things because she just likes doing it. And I thought, what would it be like if instead of me feeling like I need to spend time with Jesus and be at prayer meetings because I have to, if I did these things just because I wanted, because I like Jesus. And what if we just spent time in the Word, not because someone was telling us to, but just because we wanted to know Him. If we came to prayer meeting, not because someone was telling us to come, but just because we, we just want to love Jesus more and to know Him more. That's what it was all about. Never about having this moment that we could look back 10 years later. We're 40 years old. We're 30 years old. We're 20 years old. We're like, yeah. Hey, 10 years ago, I did this thing called detox, and it was like so good. That's it. Never about that. Paul's like, as long as I can know more of Jesus, as long as I can know him more, then nothing is going to keep me from, from going to that place. I just want to know Jesus more. I don't want to be the biggest loser. I don't want to do all of these things and then fall off the, the spiritual cliff. I just want to know Jesus more. You know that, 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 that exhilarating feeling you get when you first start crushing on somebody, right? You like meet them somehow and you're like intrigued by them. Like, oh my gosh, that person's pretty cool. Trying to find out ways that you could get into their presence so that you could kind of like get to know them and see them and maybe they'll start liking you more thinking these thoughts in your head, you know what, can I do this, can I not? Is that too upfront? You're the girl and you're not trying to make the first move and you guys hang out together somewhere and, and he comes and he sits near you and you're like, oh my gosh, why did he sit near me? And he's thinking to himself, you know what, was that, was that a little bit too front forward and, and he's trying to feel things out and like, am I talking too much? And she's laughing at all his jokes and he's like, oh my gosh, she thinks I'm funny and She's like, am I being obnoxious when I laugh like this? And they go home that night after hanging out with these groups of people. And they're like, should I, should I stalk him on Facebook? I'm going to stalk him on Facebook. Stalks him on Facebook. And he's thinking, I'm stalking her on Facebook. And, oh, my gosh, you know what? I, I'm just going to, should I do it? Should I, ah, and then he, ah, so send a friend request. Oh, my gosh. I, oh, my gosh. She's going to think I'm crazy. She's going to think I like him. Oh, my gosh. I, I like her. Oh, my gosh. And, She's trying to stalk his pictures, but, oh, they're all private. Darn, I can't see anything. But <laughs> And as she's doing all that stuff, oh, my gosh, ding. He wants to be your friend. Oh, my gosh. Like, this is great. Or she's, like, hyperventilating. She accepts friend request. And, oh, my gosh, this is great. She starts looking at the pictures. His status says, met all these great new people today. And she's thinking, oh, my gosh, am I one of these great new people? Oh my, this is a, a, amazing. And should I do it? Should I? And she likes the status. She's like, oh my gosh, now I did it. It's done. It's over. And she likes the status. Oh, looking through these other statuses. Great time at this thing. And should I like that? No, I don't want to, I don't want to like that one. And trying to find out somehow, is it possible for us to, to, to hang out and, and get together or something like that? And you know, that exhilaration, that feeling you get when you're starting to get to know a person and, and you see them in all of their idiosyncrasies and it's beautiful and there's something great about it and, and you're just, ah, oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. And you go out to eat somewhere and there's an empty seat and he said, I've been saving this seat. And you're like, who's he saving that seat for? And he's like, oh, just, just you can sit here. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is great. And, 
And then you guys go back to your own homes and thinking about it. And, oh, how can I get to send a text message? And, and before you know it, you, you start dating. And in time, the more you get to know them, it's just so exciting and it's so rewarding and so fulfilling. And, and you get married and those idiosyncrasies, all of a sudden, the more you get to know the beautiful imperfections, the imperfections don't become so beautiful anymore. And you realize, wow, I'm just going to have to love them and choose to love them, even though everything isn't the way that it used to be. If we get that feeling with someone that imperfect, how much more so when we get to know Jesus, the lover of our souls, who, in whom there is no imperfection, Everything is beautiful. And the more we get to know him, it's like that the feeling you get. The more you get to know him, the more you want to know him. And the only thing holding him back, the only thing holding us back, is our sinfulness. That we don't want to know this beautiful, perfect object of utter and sheer delight, Jesus in whom knowing him only creates a deeper desire to know him more. And knowing him doesn't cause us to say, I don't want him more. It says, I want more of him. Because everything about him is utterly beautiful and perfect. You see, and I, I remember talking to this, this older pastor a few years back, and I was just asking him, you know, how do, I, how do I minister to adults, people who are older than me? And this is what he said, and I remember... He said, when you do children's ministry, right? He had done children, he'd done youth ministry, college ministry, overseas, domestic, all that stuff, all kinds of ministry experience under his belt, 50 years old. And he said, when you do children's ministry, it's like these hearts are so pure and they're so impressionable and so open. It's just like you're, you're pouring into their hearts. They get into youth ministry and they begin having all of these temptations, yet if you could grip their hearts, right, they can, you can really continue to pour into their lives while the, before the cement gets hardened and before it, 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 it dries and you can invest so much into them and once they get it, right, their hearts begin to take off. You get into college, that's where you really begin to see fruit because it's, they want to be radical one way or another. Right? Either they'll be radical in the ways of the world or they'll be radical for Jesus one way or the other. But if you could get them, you really begin to see fruit. He says the older they get, though, and this is what he said, when you get to married people, your ministry to them is all about just being there, being there in their time of need. It's about being there when they have a child. It's about being there when, uh, when they move. It's about being there when someone dies. You, you, can't, you don't expect them to grow. It's just kind of all about being there in their time of need. And I thought to myself, that's a bunch of crap. How in the world do you, how, like, how do you expect, how are you going to come to me and tell me? And I didn't say this. I said, yeah, that's very wise and insightful. But I thought to myself later, how in the world are you going to tell me that once you get a certain age, you stop growing in your love for Jesus? I'm not going to run a church like that. I'm not going to pastor a church like that. I'm not going to shepherd a flock like that when all, it's all about just meeting people's needs. They have a crisis. I go to their home. They're upset about something. I meet them where they are. Heck no. Look at the Apostle Paul. This guy is older than all of us. And he's saying, I want to know Christ. This is how you get old well, people of God. It's not about acting young and looking young. It's about, it's about knowing Jesus, about loving him, about wanting him more and more. That's how we age well. That's what I want to be when I get older. I joke and I complain that I'm losing hair and all this stuff. I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my memory. My hairline's going this way. My belly's going that way. I, I joke about these things, but this is what it means to age well. It's to know Jesus and to know him more, to want to know him more until our dying breath. That's what it means. That was the confession of the Apostle Paul. He's saying, I'm not building a monument around these moments. I'm taking that and momentum is being built for a movement to know Christ and then to those who don't know him, to make him known 
fighting and struggling and striving in order to know Jesus more. He says that's what life is all about. That is his singular mission in life. That's why he can say, for me to live is Christ and to die, to die is gain because I'll be with Jesus. He says, I press on. How, how, does he, how does he take hope? He says, verse 13, brothers, I do not consider myself, verse 12, I press on, okay, not that I've already attained all this, been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. This is, this is like mind-shattering stuff here. He's saying, you know what? I press on, I strain, I move forward, and all of this stuff. But here's the reality. I'm pressing on to know Jesus, but he has pressed on to take hold of me already. The grace that operates is the grace that he has given to me that has captured our hearts. And every time we're chasing after Jesus, it's really because he has already pursued our hearts. That's the grace of God. It's like when, you know, some of our, our young girls get together. Our, my daughter, um, uh, uh, Manny and, and Evelyn and Ella and Jalen and all these little kids are, are, are running around together, Emmeline, and they're chasing. There's one, there's one uh, brother that the older brother they love. His name is Kenny. Basically, they think he's just like them, just a little bit taller, and so they love him. <laughs> and so they always have these moments where uh, Kenny is, for some reason, he's always being chased by them. And so they're chasing him around these circles, chasing him around these circles, and Kenny is running, and he's running, and they're like, we're going to get you, we're going to get you, we're going to get you. And every game of chase like this, what inevitably begins to happen is the slower they get, the more tired they get, they realize that the distance between them and Kenny as they chase him is growing, but the distance between Kenny and them on the backside is shrinking. And what ends up happening is that as they chase Kenny, they realize that now, aha, he's the one that's been chasing them the whole time. And this is what Jesus is. This is what Paul is saying. As I run after Jesus, as much as I think I'm pursuing him, I'm running after him, it's really him who's pursuing us. It's him who's been running after us. It's him who has been calling out to us. It's him who's been saying, let go of these lesser idols. Stop drinking from these pools so that you can have the thing that really matters. And the thing that really satisfies, it's me, and it's me only. And how do we know? How do we know that we're not going to fall back into our old ways? How do we know that we're not going to be the biggest loser? You know, most people say the reason we watch reality TV, and I've said this before, the reason we watch reality TV is because we want to look at people whose lives are so jacked up, and we look at them and we feel better about our lives. But you know what? At least my life isn't that bad. That's why we watch, I don't watch it anymore, but that's why people are fascinated by Jerry Springer and by the old Ricky Lake shows and Judge Judy because these guys are so stupid and they're getting yelled at by this judge, right? The reason why we watch shows like Extreme Makeover and, you know, those shows where restaurants that are down and out get turned around and watch shows like The Biggest Loser is because we look at people who we think are in a worse place than us. We think, you know what, if their lives could change, then maybe there's hope for me too. But if the reality is they change only to go back, then what hope do we have? What consolation do we get from watching these shows? Nothing. But here's where hope comes from to me comes from the fact that Jesus Christ was the object and is the object of forever perfection. That he's the beautiful one. 
And we're the biggest losers. We're these ugly, messed up people that need to get our acts together. And yet instead of him, the perfect one, yelling at us to get it together, Jesus became the biggest loser for us. And he let messed up people yell at him and scream at him and spit on him and tell him he needs to get his act together, that you need to get yourself together. You need to do these things. Don't you know that I have power to sentence you to death? Jesus, the only one who didn't need any help in perfecting himself because he was perfect and beautiful beyond measure, subjected himself to the imperfections of this world. We will never become, we don't have to become. We have hope that we don't have to be the biggest loser because Jesus became that for us. And he offers us hope. Just go and live in the freedom that I've won and know that every step of the way, when you hear that still small voice calling you away right, from the beckoning call of the world, that is Jesus who has been pursuing you the whole time. And in surrender, there's beauty. The cross bids us come and die to find that we there might truly live. Let's pray together. Guys, let's take a, a minute to pray. And I want to encourage us to just make some choices right now and some decisions and some commitments that will build momentum into our journey. Yeah, I love what Pastor Dave Lee spoke last year at our church, said, what you do in the next 30 seconds is going to determine whether our detox is a moment around which we build a monument or whether that becomes a moment that springs forward into momentum so that a movement could be made. Maybe for some of us, here's the, here's, here's the commitment that you make. I will come on Wednesday night to pray, knowing that prayer is the only way that change happens in this life. I will make a commitment here and now to read my Bible time, to get back on it, and that each day, each day, because I know that there my Lord Jesus pursues me, I will spend time with him every day at 8 o'clock at night. Here's your commitment. I struggled with these sins, and I will make a choice to delete certain apps from my phone in order that I will not be tempted to go back to my old life. I will make a decision here and now to find accountability with one person, to say, I will not talk with this person anymore because I know that this relationship is poisoning my soul and keeping me from loving Jesus with all of my heart. Maybe your commitment is to your spouse to say, God, this, uh, this week I will pray for my spouse, with my spouse every day because I know that I need my relationship with my wife, with my husband to be brought back to a place where we together love Jesus more and more instead of being perfect strangers in our, in our home. Whatever that choice might be, let's pray a prayer of commitment, of momentum, taking what God has given, saying, God, I want to know you more. I want to love you more. Jesus, I want to press in to love and to pursue the God who's pursuing me. No other God of any other religion pursues you or me. It says, do these things and do it right. But Jesus came to us 
and continues to run after our hearts. Let's pray, Jesus, to know you. This is what it looks like. This is what it means. This is the choice that I need to make. Let's pray for a minute and just make a a commitment to the Lord God that this is how I want to live in order that detox would not be a distant memory, but it would be a momentum that causes me to live, to know you, and to make you know. Let's pray together for just a minute, and then we'll close together. so much that you brought us together in order that you might deposit into our hearts words of life that we so desperately needed to hear. Thank you, Jesus, that in knowing you, there's no limits to the joy and the beauty of falling more and more in love with our Savior. So, Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts as a congregation to help one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another, to love you more, to know you better. And as individuals, may we be the best lovers of Jesus Christ that we could be for the glory of your name and so that others might know this one, the same Jesus that pursues us, pursues those outside the family of God through us. And so, Father, help us to now be your hands and feet as we know you to make you known. Thank you so much. We need you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's rise.